Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. Wonderful people, I have just a few more episodes to share this year before taking a bit of a break. It has been such a whirlwind summer and fall, and I just need some time to regroup, to think through what's next, and record some more conversations. I would also love to hear from you. Is there someone you'd love to hear on the show, or maybe a topic you feel is missing? You can reach out via email, teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com, or DM me on Instagram at teachingartistpodcast, and share your recommendations and ideas. Cynthia Hawk shared her experience teaching mindful art workshops, including trainings for teachers and parents around bringing these practices into our teaching. I was so grateful that she also shared a specific exercise that can be done with no materials or extended to create incredible works of art. We talked about somatic work and what that means, as well as overcoming the shame story many of us have around creativity. Cynthia also shared some of her favorite books, which I'll link to in the blog post. She talked about fitting in art making while juggling so many other parts of life including true self-care. I loved the imagery of filling your cup in order for it to overflow and pour out into the world. Cynthia Hawk is an interdisciplinary artist and mindful art teacher trainer. Currently, her online offerings have reached students globally in 45 countries. Her Mindful Art for Kids teacher training and group coaching program empowers artists, parents, and teachers with tools, to teach calming, mindful art activities to children aged approximately 3 to 12 years old. You can access free resources and learn more on her website, which is mindfulcreativemuse.com. Although Cynthia has experimented with many different art media ranging from illustration to sculpture, her passion resides with mixed media, abstract oil and acrylic painting, watercolor and ink drawing, gel and Polaroid emulsion transfers, and digital photography. She has exhibited her work throughout the United States, as well as internationally while studying abroad in Florence, Italy, in a post-baccalaureate program in studio arts before earning her MFA from Lesley University College of Art and Design. Her body of work titled Il Progetto di Graffito, translated from Italian meaning the graffiti project, incorporates unique and complex layers of abstract and fragmented imagery, as she explores the ephemeral beauty found in decay. Her work investigates contemporary issues such as modern ruins, graffiti, urban decay, and dystopian American societies. In this series, Cynthia appropriates imagery of graffiti, manipulates the imagery further by melting and damaging the film, causing cracks, breaks, and accelerated erosion interwoven with the original imagery. She deliberately provokes the creation of additional layers of decay in her work highlighting the transitory life of man-made marks and spaces. Let's hear from Cynthia. 
I am speaking with Cynthia Hawk, and I'm excited to have you. Thank you, Cynthia. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rebecca. Yeah. So I love to start with your background and hearing a little bit about what you do and really the connection between art and education in your life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I've been teaching for the last 13 years and Mm -hmm. earned my MFA in interdisciplinary arts Mm -hmm. back in 2010. I feel like I, you know, I hear many people say this, but I feel like I've been an artist my whole life. (laughs) Um, Yep. (laughs) And so to be able to live in a world where I can be both a practicing artist and a teacher and teach art as well is is a dream for me. Mm. I also have a lot of other certifications in the expressive arts and mindfulness and yoga. And I tend to combine a lot of different mindful activities with art activities. So I'm really passionate around and curious around what that can do for people and the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. And how did you get into yoga and mindfulness alongside art? Was that also something you were doing for a long time? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I I see it as two separate paths initially. I started taking yoga and mindfulness and meditation classes in college in my early 20s when I was pursuing my psychology and art degree, largely mm-hmm. for my own mental health, just to, to ease some anxiety and stress. And I did that practice of yoga and mindfulness for, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so before I really started pursuing certifications and becoming a teacher. And I stumbled across one teacher who happened to combine art and yoga together. And some light bulbs went off for me in that moment. And then I realized that I didn't have to keep them separate. And I started doing a lot of other research and then other trainings around how we can combine mindfulness and art or Mm -hmm. yoga and art together. And I think that in a lot of ways, they tend to to marry really naturally. I find Mm -hmm. just chatting with other artists and teachers that teach art, that many people speak about the fact that they feel like they get into a meditative state when they're creating Mm -hmm. or that the practice feels mindful. I don't think that's always true (laughs) Um, sometimes. Right. Yeah. But it can naturally lend itself to that, similar to if we're walking out in nature, how that can kind of naturally bring us to a less stressed or more mindful place. So yeah, I just absolutely love the combining of it. But initially, it was definitely separate for many years. And then the last 10, 13 years or so, it's been combined. Yeah, I love hearing about that sort of aha moment, too. That's amazing. (laughs) To come across that, you know, I feel that way too about certain things that you're pursuing multiple things at the same time that are moving next to each other and not connecting. And then to find that connection is just sort of magical. Absolutely. And I've noticed too, for me, so many of my friends who are artists and teachers also, we tend to wear many Mm -hmm. hats, like have this Renaissance feel. (laughs) And so it, it just makes sense to me that There's not a need. We don't have to compartmentalize things. Mm. Sometimes we can explore and dip our toes, you know, into multiple things at once and see how they complement each other. Right. Absolutely. And I feel like that also, like you mentioned that your MFA was in interdisciplinary arts. That's also like we're not compartmentalizing. We're kind of pulling multiple things together. Mm -hmm. What was that program like? 
Yeah. So I went to Leslie University College of Art and Design, and I chose that program because the focus was largely on the intention of the artwork first. And then Mm -hmm. depending on what your intention was, you could explore different media. Mm -hmm. And that's also largely why I'm really drawn to mindfulness and art, because the the focus is on the process, not necessarily the final product, although there Mm -hmm. is that awareness and focus as well. So I, I guess for me, in both instances, it just feels a bit more freeing that there's permission that I can explore and notice if I'm you know, halfway through a project and it's taking me in a different direction, that I can follow that thread and that path and sort of see with curiosity where it might lead me versus I had considered a different program in San Francisco and it was one media. So I would have to choose like painting or drawing or photography. And I love mm-hmm. them all. <laughs> I didn't want to choose. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I think being in that program also, a large focus was on critiquing, but having this mindful eye in looking at artwork and and being curious about what's the meaning behind that piece that the artist is trying to communicate if there is one beyond the Mm -hmm. process. So I think that that's actually the biggest value I got from that program was of discernment and curiosity. And then, of course, being connected in community. I think being able to create with other artists is a gift. Yeah, absolutely. And then were you teaching in the schools ever or was it all more community-based programs? So I, majority of my teaching has been in adult education centers, Mm -hmm. through nonprofit organizations, through my own teaching business, partnering with other smaller organizations and groups. So I've never taught directly in the school system. I did some work with a nonprofit that worked with at-risk youth Mm -hmm. that were in K through 12 that were court ordered to do some art programs. Mm -hmm. So I've dipped my toes in in that way as well, but I'm not certified to teach specifically through K through 12 in the States. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then you are offering a teacher training that I was looking at and looked really interesting. I'd love to hear more about that program. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been teaching the mindfulness and art activities for many years. Originally, it was to adults. And then I had a lot of my students come to me that were either teachers or parents themselves. Mm -hmm. And they were saying how they were sharing the practices with their kids and how they were noticing how these mindful art activities were helping their kiddos to calm down or be more focused or helping them with emotional regulation. And Mm -hmm. so I had a student a year or two ago that just had a really big shift to like profound impact on me where she Mm -hmm. was doing this meditative watercolor doodling practice I teach. And her seven-year-old son saw her do that practice and he had been struggling with a lot of like tantrums and anxiety and they had tried other things. And so she explained what she was doing. And and she said for that next week solid, he kept going up to his bedroom and was doing it. And uh. how she noticed how quickly it had a big calming effect for him and that he was mm-hmm. so excited that he had something that he could go to and do. And it was sort of his own. So that when she shared it to me actually through a Facebook comment in an online retreat I was doing. And I had like goosebumps and chills and I was tearing up. And I've just always had people say to me, oh, you must work with kids. You need to work with kids. And that was it. That was like the shift. 
long story short, the last year or so, I was developing mindful art for kids teacher training. And that's mm-hmm. largely for teachers of K through 12, as well as parents mm-hmm. that want to share these mindful art activities with kiddos, usually between the ages of three and 12. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of other research in there as well. So it's trauma-informed, and it includes a lot around how to integrate that in the school system, just just that I did through other research. But there's specific steps on how to include that in your lesson plans, even if it's, you know, 10 minutes for Mm -hmm. your practice with your kiddos. Yeah, that sounds incredible. And do you feel like that would be useful for art teachers as well as classroom teachers, parents? Even, you know, I'm thinking of like homeschool parents as well. Yeah, definitely. I would say most of my students that I've had so far have been K through 12 teachers of multiple different subjects, primarily that are art teachers, but across the board. And I think especially with the pandemic this previous year and with people transitioning to more online teaching or at-home teaching. That's why Mm -hmm. I also included a few sections for parents Mm -hmm. or for homeschoolers, as you're mentioning, because I think that these practices can be done. You don't need special training outside of it. You know, it really works for so many different people. I think the Mm -hmm. main interest is, is there a curiosity around being more present without the judgment and for for kiddos, how can we support them to explore things now, whether that's if they're making a piece of artwork or if they're working on another subject and we just want to help support them so they can focus mm-hmm. a bit better? I think there's a lot of different benefits to it. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like anytime I have sat down and just kind of played with paint, like I don't have any of the training that you have, <laughs> but just taking deep breaths and doing almost like guided breathing with students Mm -hmm. or with my own daughter. It's been so calming for me as well as the students or the kids. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Breath work, I think, is so powerful and really simple. Mm -hmm. And with children, especially, I find that there can be fun ways that we can explore breath work, like Mm -hmm. through our hands or drawing with our hands or having a a little teddy bear that we can have join us in breathing. There's lots of fun ways, uh, like using bubbles, you know, things that kids are already enjoying in their life. But now we can just Mm -hmm. kind of thread in that breath or mindfulness practice. And I just find Mm -hmm. it's so natural for kids. Yeah. And I love hearing that, like, I'm imagining the bubbles coming in. My daughter would love that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And then I'm curious if you'd be willing to share maybe just a tiny little tidbit from that training. I don't know if you have a tip that you might share or maybe like one of the practices that you go through. Yeah, definitely. Let me think. There's so many different ones. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at the, you know, everything included. It's a lot. Yeah. 
I'll share one that because it's really simple, mm-hmm. just with verbal instruction without having to show any materials. Right. I call it or it's referred to as star breathing or star breath since we were just talking mm-hmm. about breath practices. Mm-hmm. This is something that you can do for yourself. You can share with your kids in your life. And you can do it without any supplies, or you can also just use if you have construction paper and a crayon or pen and paper, whatever you have. But if you're working without anything, you can just use your hand or you can work with the child with their hand. And so all we would be doing as an example first is we're going to be inhaling and focusing on each finger So I would use my one hand just to kind of trace the fingers on the other hand. And so I would start at the base of my thumb and inhaling, moving my hand up towards the top of the tip of my thumb and then exhaling, moving my hand down the thumb. And then I would repeat that inhaling, moving my hand up towards the tip of my first finger and exhaling, moving down that finger. Mm. inhaling moving up to the tip of the third finger and exhaling moving down that finger towards the center and you would continue through the nice part that I really like when you work with kids is that you can have them place their hand on a piece of paper and using a crayon or something depending on the age of the child you can either have them trace or you can trace for them. But by tracing that path along with the breath, it does a couple of different things. One, just having that tactile sensation of noticing your finger or the crayon on your finger or even noticing the crayon on the page and naming that like, oh, I can hear the sound as it moves across the page. It brings in multiple different senses. Mm -hmm. And then depending on, you know, if it's something that you're guiding, you can explore that pacing and really slow it down and just increase that awareness of what's happening with our breath right now. And Mm -hmm. even just with five or 10 breaths, if you were to do both hands or come back on the same direction of the one hand. I think it can be really amazing how much can shift just in five to 10 breaths. And then you can also, if you have that image of the hand, there's other exercises that you can do with them to then fill in that hand and and do an art activity. So that's one that's really nice because you can do it anywhere if you're a, a parent as well and you're just kind of out and about So you don't need to have art supplies for that activity. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that it's so flexible like that too. Definitely. Yeah, I think one thing I'm really passionate about is how can I keep all of the activities as simple as possible Mm -hmm. and that there's permission, like different options to explore different ways, Mm -hmm. just because I think that at least I don't know about other people when I was growing up and I, I was in art classes, you know, that it was... I remember actually I have this memory where I was told by one of my art teachers they were drawing a heart and I was a couple of minutes late to class. So I drew a heart, you know, but they were drawing the physical heart in the body Um, and the teacher had kind of reprimanded me for not doing it right. And mm -hmm. Brene Brown talks about how typically in her research, 80% of the people she interviewed had some sort of shame story around art before they were the age of like six. And so 
So one thing I'm just so excited about with mindful art activities is that it not only helps us to calm down in the moment and helps us to perhaps increase our focus or be more aware right now, but there's also this permission that, you know, it's like those choose your own adventure books. You can like <laughs> pick, pick the path that you're curious about without there having this feeling of doing something right or wrong. So I just love this work. Yeah, yeah. And that is so important, having choice, giving kids and even adults choice in what they're creating. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and I, <laughs> it's hard to hear those, like the shame story, but it's so true that probably everybody has that in their history, thinking of themselves as an artist or their experience with creativity. Mm -hmm. And then I also, I feel like that exercise, the star breath exercise brings in so many different senses. And mm -hmm. there's a term I saw on your site that I've seen a little bit, but I'm not sure I even fully understand. Maybe if you could talk about somatic work and kind of what that term means. Definitely. It's funny. Yeah. As soon as you mentioned that, I knew which word <laughs> you were going yeah. to say, because it's just not commonly spoken about. So right. som somatic or soma, it basically means mind body. And so a lot of the somatic practices that I teach and share is largely about how can we integrate and be aware of what's happening both within our mind and our body. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the somatic movement practices that I include are really slow, sort of more gestural, just moving in space mm -hmm. as a practice of mindfulness and awareness. Mm -hmm. So that's really the the simplest uh, kind of short answer <laughs> to that term. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I know I've come across it through therapy being like mm -hmm. connecting with your body and, you know, what are you feeling? What sensations are you feeling in your body right now? Mm-hmm almost as a way to reconnect physically in the world and kind of get out of your head a little bit, mm -hmm. but to feel the sensations of like when you're emotional about something, when there's something going on, when a trauma is triggered, what does that feel like in your body and what's happening physically for you? And that's Absolutely. been really powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that you're doing that work. We're exploring that work. It makes me think there's a body scan meditation and drawing practice that I share with that's that can be adapted for either adults or kids. And a big part of that is noticing not only sensations in the body, but what sort of emotions, what we would name as emotions and how we mm -hmm. could perhaps texture or express that through shape or line or color. Mm. And knowing that we might not be able to express it visually exactly how it feels, but just getting something out on the page, there's also this kind of stepping back. It's for me, I notice it's a way I can feel it more, like be in the present moment and feel it in my body and at the same time, get it on the page out in front of me. So mm -hmm. it almost softens it a little bit. I can be with those sensations or those thoughts or emotions for a little bit longer because there's this, I can see it on the page now. It doesn't feel perhaps overwhelming if it felt mm. overwhelming before. That's a great way to describe it and just how it helps you sort of process things too. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
And then, so you've been doing these workshops. I'm curious how the pandemic shifted things for you. Like I imagine you had been doing, you know, these, I'm just picturing like a yoga workshop or sitting together, being physically present together in this space. And then how that changes when everything shut down and moved online. And maybe even if you had any sort of tips for this around, like I'm thinking of teachers who may want to probably have already been (laughs) teaching online, but may want to do more of their own sort of workshops online and just how that's worked for you. Mm -hmm. So the, the main difference I noticed Right before the pandemic, I was teaching in person uh, a lot of soul collage workshops, Mm. and there were so many supplies involved in that Uh, workshop. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think that one thing that came up for me, but also I know for other teachers and parents through the pandemic is we have the transition to online learning and that whole technology, but also what does that mean for the supplies that we're using? Do we have access Mm -hmm. to all of those art materials? I had some students who used to come religiously to my in-person soul collage, collage workshops who didn't have access to a computer and internet at home. They would always meet at the library. And so I think that that was really the biggest shift I noticed because I was already teaching online in a lot of respects, but it was just noticing, okay, now now how do we come across these bumps in the road for mm-hmm. these different obstacles and how can we help support that? So the the main thing that I noticed that I shifted when I was teaching online is I simplified a lot of the offerings. Mm-hmm. So I did still offer some soul collage workshops for some of my longer standing students that had been doing it for a while. They already had all the supplies at home. They were comfortable with going online. But I really started offering more mindful art workshops that were you could show up if you just had a piece of paper and a pen. And if that's all you had for visual art supplies, that's perfect. And we could explore Mm -hmm. that. And maybe if you had other things, we could incorporate that as well, just Mm -hmm. to reduce that barrier. And the other thing that I would say for anyone curious about teaching online, especially if they're wanting to share more of their own online workshops, Mm -hmm. I think are a couple of things. One, to notice your own comfortability with uh, sharing practices with your students online. If that's new for you, if you have trepidation or if you're unsure I think what I always recommend to my students in my teacher trainings is to have some practice runs. Like even if you're connecting with friends or family, get on Zoom or whatever you're using and actually go through a workshop with them so you can feel a bit more comfortable. And then the other thing also, I think that there's a lot of opportunities to really connect, I think, in online learning. And one thing that happened through the pandemic is a lot of my students increased globally around the world. I have Mm. more students that I'm able to connect with around the world than I did before. And I think with that, there's so much more that we can learn from each other in groups. Mm. And more so I'm speaking of that with my adult students. So I think that there's, there's opportunities as well in there that are really beautiful. And I love doing group sharing through online Zoom and Mm -hmm. having the invitation be out there 
very early on in the workshop around participation because I, I noticed if I ever do an online workshop, if I leave the sharing towards the end of the workshop, mm-hmm. the the participants are much less likely to interact at that point, right? Because it's mm-hmm. been sort of a lecture format or something for most of the, the class. So right. instead, I really, if I want to have more of that interaction, that's something that I encourage very early on and throughout and really make it a safe space. So if people want to use the chat box, they can. If they want to have their video off, they're welcome to do that. Mm-hmm. But just to have that invitation of we can learn from each other and we can really connect in this way, even though we're using screens. And I think that so many people felt connected, thankfully, more so than not because mm-hmm. of the the Zoom world <laughs> through the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it opened a lot of doors, you know, when it everything kind of first happened and, and we felt like our world is shifting out from under us. It was a little scary, but I feel like it very, very quickly, lots of adaptations happened and there was so much beautiful connection, just being able to, like you said, meet people all over the, the globe. And there was some level of connection around the sort of collective trauma that we were all experiencing Mm. and, you know, varying degrees of losing loved ones, losing jobs, losing just connections, physical connections. But I can definitely see how your, your workshops would have, like students would have been really in need of mindful art practices during this time. Mm -hmm. I know for me, that these practices, as well as cuddling with my cat, (laughs) were (laughs) two huge lifesavers over the last year. And I've had a large amount of my students when we're in classes or in other, you know, they'll comment and send me messages, just share how relieving it's been to have something Mm -hmm. that they can rely on and know that they can go back to and know that even if it's just five minutes that they can feel a bit less stressed and and be able to express themselves. So yeah, I'm so grateful for this kind of work in the world and other people that are contributing and serving in their own ways as well. I also love to hear more of, I guess maybe this is like nitty gritty just how you manage your time. So if you're still making your own artwork and all the other things going on in your life, maybe you could share like a week in the life or a day in the life. How do you fit in teaching and, you know, running an online business and still having your own practices, your own art making, your own yoga practice, all of that? Yeah, definitely. So I have always been a list person (laughs) throughout my life, (laughs) and that also translates to being a calendar person. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think maybe a year or two ago, one of my mentors actually had suggested time blocking and being really intentional around having a structure that I can set up and create, but I have a, a structured schedule each week that fits in my teaching, it fits in my art practice, it fits in my self-care practices, Mm -hmm. it fits in, you know, marketing for my business, 
accounting for my business, like all of those things, all of the different things that I have to juggle. So mm-hmm. I know every week, Monday from nine to 12, that I'm going to be doing my weekly planning and then doing my YouTube video creation. I just know that that's going to happen. And I give myself permission as well if if I need to make any adjustments because life happens. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I think that I really appreciate about that is it almost takes a bit of the the mental strain out of it. Like I don't mm-hmm. show up in that time frame or to my computer, or to my art studio desk and question like, what am I doing now for the next hour or two? I might have questions along the way, like how do I problem solve this or what materials do I want to work with next? But I know that I have that space in that time to focus on that particular task. Mm -hmm. And that's helpful for me when I don't feel like doing it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because I notice if I sit down and I start usually after about five to 10 minutes, whatever task I'm working on, I tend to, you know, it's similar to going to the gym. If I don't feel like going to the gym, once I'm there, then I enjoy it. Or afterwards, then I feel better. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's the getting started sometimes that can feel overwhelming. And I notice this with my students, especially those who have their own business that are trying to teach online or that are teaching online, is that there's so many different moving parts that there can be that overwhelm. And we can go into analysis paralysis and kind of freeze up and then not make progress. And so, yeah, I I use time blocking. And then I also just have accountability. I have a couple of people that I check in with weekly just to to help hold me, you know, onto the path and onto my vision and what I'm wanting Mm -hmm. to do with my teaching and my art practice. Yeah. And then you mentioned mentorship. Do you also offer sort of coaching or mentorship? I do. So that's something I've been doing one-on-one coaching for a couple of years, but I Mm -hmm. also in the last year, largely due to the pandemic, I launched a group coaching program specifically Mm -hmm. for teachers and artists. And so it weaves in different things around setting intentions and goals, Mm -hmm. but also accountability. There's some training and tools And then we also have calls where we just come on the call and create together. Mm -hmm. So it's still that accountability, but it's not not like deadline accountability. It's come and be in community and create together and Mm -hmm. and then speak about your process. And so that we really started diving into that in January. Mm -hmm. And that is probably the light of the work that I'm doing right now, like the thing that lights me up the most Mm -hmm. that I'm really excited about. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Do you feel like participating in coaching and having your own sort of mentors and coaches helped push you to also start offering that? Yeah, I think it probably did two things. It really highlighted and pointed out the need that that I have and that I see many other artists and teachers Mm -hmm. around. It's hard to create on an island sometimes. And I Mm -hmm. think as an artist, that can happen, especially I think when you're creating during the times of, you know, a pandemic. So I think it just really highlighted that need that I think is a very human need and why I've met so many people that share in that need as well. And then also, I think it probably showed me what really resonates with me. What have I found that's worked over the years? What maybe are some things that have worked better? And so I'm sure it informed how I show up and how I facilitate and hold space for the group and, Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that sounds 
so helpful. It definitely makes a huge difference to have that, like you mentioned, accountability, but then also to not feel so alone. And that's something I hear a lot, especially, you know, the art teacher, if you're thinking about working in schools, is often sort of a department unto themselves. <laughs> mm. So sort of an island within this school community. But then the other the other side that I see is trying to really juggle like I'm an artist, but I'm also teaching and I'm, you know, in whatever capacity you're involved in education while making your own art and just where those things, how you juggle those things that are not easy to find other people really passionate about both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely feel that sort of island. <laughs> well, and I I find it's nice also to like what you're saying, other people that are in similar boats, I think that there's a deeper level of understanding or kind of seeing what the other person is struggling with or Mm -hmm. how to offer support or just listen and really connect and empathize with each other. Mm -hmm. And I notice when you're talking about that juggling, what, what I find with myself as well as with a lot of the people that I work with is that there tends to be this focus on really doing so many different things. You know, Mm -hmm. like we're teaching, we want to be the best teacher for our students. We want to really offer something that's going to serve them. We want to put our heart into our artwork. We want to show up for our friends and our family, you know, and there's this like being pulled in so many different directions. And sometimes a big focus actually in the group is, highlighting that and also saying yes and what about your self-care or what about like what is really serving your own heart and supporting you and how are you nurturing your own well and refilling that and I find oftentimes the the personal art practice is one of the first things to go when there's Mm -hmm. so many different things on one's plate at least that's what has been mentioned by a lot of my students so there's just this like holding around the capacity, you know, the fact that we have so much that we're trying to do in the world and Mm -hmm. how can we fill our own well and support Mm -hmm. ourselves so we can continue to do that from a place of joy and overflowing outwards. Right. Yeah. And I love that connection to that it would overflow, that if your own cup is empty or only filled up a little bit, there's nothing to overflow. There's nothing Mm -hmm. to share. I love that imagery of like, filling it all up within yourself so that you can spill that out into the world. Mm -hmm. And then I'm curious with your own work, like you talked about sort of the personal art practice and the need to hang on to that and make time for that. Do you also like, are you making work to show or sell? Is that something that you're interested in as an artist? That's a great question. So I used to be in a lot of group shows with a handful of solo shows Mm -hmm. a few years before I did my MFA and I graduated in 2010. And then Mm -hmm. several years after that, I really, that was a big focus of mine was being sure that I had work that I was creating with the intention of having it shared in a gallery. Right. So I haven't now been in a gallery show for a few years. I still create work. I still create work consistently, but I don't, I think a large reason why I was doing that is because I was considering teaching at the college level and 
in order to teach at the college level and to be competitive and have work there, you really need to be showing consistently. And so it's no longer a requirement that I do that. And so while I would enjoy maybe, you know, some sort of community collaboration and showing work in that way on occasion, I really also shifted in my art process. So it was more focused on the process itself through mindful mm -hmm. art, even though I, I love the look and the aesthetics of a lot of what I create. I think the intention for my art process has shifted a lot. Mm -hmm. And so what I do now to be really consistent is I speak about this a lot with my students around having, even if it's a five or 10 minute daily practice to stay connected to your creative practice. Usually that turns into longer. It turns into a half hour, hour, hour plus session, you know, once I'm in a flow state, mm -hmm. but also I'll keep supplies out that are really easily accessible. So I know I can go to my art desk and I can just sit down right away and start creating. So there's not this barrier around needing to set everything up. And I know sometimes that's not always possible for everyone. Even I think sometimes having an art journal that you can mm -hmm. pull out and go to get ideas down on the page or sketches and have some sort of creative output that you can then go back to later, I think can sometimes be helpful. And I'm considering selling, again, some of my, I've been doing a lot with teaching around watercolor, doodling and ink. So painting and drawing mixed together. And mm -hmm. I've been considering setting up a shop to sell that just because I'm getting so much work now, but that is not, has not been done as of yet. Yeah. Well, I love that, you know, ability to shift and really be aware, be mindful of what your own goals are for your art practice and what you're, like we were talking about, what fills your cup, what fills you up. And if that's not any longer showing in galleries, like that's totally okay. Right. Mm -hmm. But I also love those tips of having a space where there's supplies ready, whether that's a desk or it's just the journal that you pull out and committing to at least five to 10 minutes a day. I think those are really helpful, especially for busy teachers, parents who are struggling a bit to get their art practice back into their lives. I think those are great mm. sort of starting points. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it also takes some pressure off. Mm -hmm. Like I know if I give myself permission that I, I'm just going to sit down for five minutes and make some marks and see where it takes me. Yeah. I think sometimes, at least what I hear a lot from my students is that beginning part. You know, if you have a blank canvas, sometimes that can be daunting. If you're a writer, mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, writing that next chapter can be the thing that can hold you back. And so I just think through consistent small actions it, I notice it helps me feel calmer and that I just feel better creating in that way. But also it removes some of the, the perhaps internal judgment that can hold me back that I have to create something that is amazing, you know, the second I sit down. And so yeah. it just removes some of that pressure too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like so much of that is pressure we kind of put on ourselves or I guess that society has put on us back to that shame story we all mm. have experienced as a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's incredible to find ways to take that pressure off mm -hmm. and keep creating. 
And then do you feel like there are resources that have been really helpful, maybe books or any other sort of resource that's really helped you along the way that you would want to share? I'm a huge fan of Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. I used to facilitate groups where we would meet for 12 weeks and go through the book. Mm. Almost anybody that I've ever met that's read that book has expressed how it's been life-changing for their creative process. I don't know that that's true for everyone, but everyone I've met, um, we've all expressed that. So mm. that is my go-to creativity book that I always recommend and love. Mm. I also love a lot of other books that maybe seem unrelated. I love Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine. He has a lot of trauma-informed work in there and talks mm -hmm. about the mind and body. So that's one of my favorite books. And I, I love a lot of different mindfulness books. So Pema Chodron, and she shares a lot of different mindfulness practices. So mm -hmm. I would say it's mixed. Those are great. And I will try to link to all of the books that you share so listeners okay. can go find them. Excellent. Yeah. And then I love these sort of like broader questions. So one that that I always like asking because I feel like as artists, we're just considering so many different things and sort of sparked by so many different things. What are you curious about right now? Mm, I love that question. I've been especially curious recently about light. So mm -hmm. I was a photographer, uh, had a photography business for seven years. And mm -hmm. and then after I stopped that business, I, I stopped a lot of my photography for a while. I was doing more collage mm -hmm. and painting and drawing. And I think because of the pandemic and then trying to be in nature more, I've just been really curious around light and the qualities of light. And so that also comes through on my watercolor and ink paintings, but I've been more curious with photography again regarding that. Mm, I love that. Do you see going back to photography or even maybe combining photography with your painting practice? Yeah, that's actually when I first started my master's program, uh, it was based on work where I had taken photographs with Polaroids and then I had melted down the film and projected mm. it and then painted these abstract pieces. And so mm. painting and photography or ink and photography, it's always sort of been intermingled for me in different ways. So even though I've sort of took a break from formally doing photography for a while, I think my eye, like my eye still works like a photographer's. Right. And so, yeah, I would love to get back into doing some sort of combining of the media again. Yeah, that sounds so interesting. I'd love to see those. Yeah, definitely. I can, <laughs> I'll, I'll send you some of the images. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Okay, I have just kind of a silly, like, get to know you question. What's your favorite food? Hmm. More recently, it's been sushi. Ooh, me too. <laughs> yeah, that's usually my go-to. I'm like, I need that salmon avocado. I know it's like the most basic roll, but that's what I love. <laughs> I was in um, India for two months. I did an artist residency out there and, and photographed Ooh. a wedding. And there's no avocados in India. Mm. 
and it had never crossed my mind. I don't know. I guess I've just I hadn't thought about it before. And I remember when I came back to the States, that was the first thing I wanted was to eat an, an avocado. Oh, and wow. I tried to describe it to them, like what an avocado was. And it was so hard to, <gasps> to describe. But yes, yeah. salmon and avocado. I love those. So good. Yeah. I don't know how you would describe that. It's like butter from a tree. (laughs) (laughs) Then I also love to give some space for you to give a thank you or a shout out to anyone who's helped along the way. Yeah, definitely. I am a huge in huge gratitude to one of my mentors, George Cow. He's an authentic business mm-hmm. coach. So I definitely recommend checking him out if anybody is needing more support as well. Mm-hmm. And just huge gratitude for the different things I've learned from my students and people in my life. Beautiful. And then where can listeners connect with you online? Yeah. So the the easiest way that I always like to recommend is to check out my YouTube channel, which is under Mindful Creative Muse. Mm -hmm. I share a lot of different mindful art activities and quick five-minute things you can do and try at home. And then it'll also share other ways you can find me. But my website, mindfulcreativemuse.com, is a great place that has all of my social media links as well. Mm -hmm. And On there, too, I have a free workbook that is specifically for parents and teachers wanting to share Mm -hmm. either with themselves or kiddos. So that's something uh, with some other resources that are on my website, too. Oh, that's amazing. And I will link to all of that so people can easily find you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cynthia. This was wonderful. Thank you, Rebecca. I love chatting with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.